If you like our podcast and you want to help support the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Also, you can donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash what's happening, or you can donate to us directly via PayPal. All those links can be found in the show notes. And now, it's time to know what's happening. Yeah. Hey. hey what's happening everybody uh this is episode 65 of uh what's happening i am shane and i'm nico and we are very happy to have uh, out of hibernation of uh, i don't know i guess of social media or anything like that because you had some problems with your social media i don't know there was some Weird shenanigans going on there. It's probably from the government, probably doing that because they don't want you know, <laughs> <laughs> doing all that stuff. But uh, we have uh, Theodore Kinua of uh, Crowdfunded Government. What's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Real pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, how is uh, quarantine going on for you so far? Well, for me, I don't. I don't quarantine. I'm an emergency services provider. Oh. Uh, ah. Private, I might add, not not a public emergency services. So my life has been unchanged during the quarantine. The only thing that's different is that people don't want to shake my hand, and that's fine. I've never been I've never been big on handshaking anyway. That's so big. it's been pretty crazy. Everybody's talking about how their lives have changed, and I am literally going day to day exactly as I did back in January, back in November. Hmm. Yeah. So you just been like bowing or you know doing the elbow thing. I see some people doing the elbow thing where they, they, they touch elbows or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I object to the touching elbows because where are you supposed to cough? Into your elbow. And now we're gonna be start touching elbows. All right. This is not gonna Great work. Idea. No, I mean, me me and my coworkers figured out that the best move is to kick boots. So like oh. we'll 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 each kick, you know, lean forward and kick. Wasn't there like this uh, hip hop dance back in the early '90s where they had the they they kicked boot or they kicked feet or whatever and they did a little hop or whatever? <laughs> You're bringing that back, right? Yeah, it's an old school throwback, and I've never seen that before. But I got to YouTube it now. It sounds awesome. I think it was like Kid and Play or something that did that. I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking. About. I was just gonna say you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't um, either. Don't don't feel bad, Nico. I don't know either. <laughs> I guess uh, am I like am I super old or something or? You're only yeah. When did you become the boomer here? I don't know. I, I for some reason I know of of some old stuff back in the day or I don't know. Maybe that makes me a, a nerd. I heard too. This is like completely off topic of what we're gonna be talking about. But I heard uh, someone was trying to ban the word nerd or something from. Why? I don't know. I guess because. What? It's, yeah. Uh, maybe I'm talking at a school or something, but I'm pretty sure I saw something like that where they were considering it hate speech or something. Cause if you call someone a nerd, you know, you're automatically, you know, you're, what are you, you're a smart man, hate speech. <laughs> I've, I've embraced the word nerd um, yeah. since I was in just, you know, a young Theo <laughs> was even Theodore, you know, it's like nerd is like, to me, it's a good word. It describes somebody who's passionate and interested in learning and, but I guess I, I, you could use it incorrectly. Yes, absolutely. Makes yeah. sense. Okay. But what, how many words are off limits, man? L let me keep nerd. Yeah, I mean, nerd's not too bad. I don't mind being called a nerd. I mean, you know, I like sports. So you can be a sports nerd or you can be a, you know, a comics nerd, anime nerd, video game. I mean, you can be a nerd for anything. I guess you could be a nerd for medical stuff maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even know. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so – this is actually kind of a interesting timing, actually, because when we originally had this scheduled, you know, we were kind of just wanted to have you on to kind of talk about uh, crowdfunding government. But now with all this stuff happening going on with the virus and all that stuff, it's actually uh, kind of appropriate because you see all these and I'm sure you see it on social media or just on the news or, or wherever you're, you're seeing all that stuff, whatever. But all these people over either you're overreacting or you're not reacting enough or you're doing it just, you know, middle of the road. It's kind of like you're overreacting and underreacting at the same time, or at yeah. least that's how I feel all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't yeah. Know. How can you win with that equation? I know, right? Uh, but it's also interesting, too, because um, just recently, I, I, I can't, it was pretty recent. Maybe I think Trump signed it in the law, I believe, but that whole stimulus bill, you know, the, the CARES Act, I believe it was, uh, it was called. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, you know, Thomas Massey 
was the one that was like, man, uh, Donald Trump, Twitter, Thomas Massey should be kicked out of the Republican Party for, uh, you know, for what he's doing, whatever. And it's just like all he wanted was to have people on record vote so that your name would be attached so that people can know, oh, this person voted for this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're saying that he was delaying the vote, which didn't happen because they still voted for it anyway. So I don't even know what the hell they were talking about. Um, the, the, so there's all that kind of, uh, you know, when you're when you're looking at that. And how the government's been reacting to all this is it kind of because um, there's also people too that were saying, well, all this is basically uh, reiterating my my uh, intention or what is it? I don't know what the word is, but that my whole uh, bias, I guess it's probably the wrong word to use, but uh, my confirmation bias that you know libertarianism is dead or just you know we need this is why we need government for this because you know if we just print more money, we're all good to go, right? So you know how do you, how do you feel about all of that? Well, you're, you're right. We were supposed to do this in January before I hibernated. And this would have been just uh, vanilla, right? The world was good. And just want to tell you a little bit about crowdfunded government. So there is a lot to go off of now and a real world example, because I've always tried to give examples of when a crowdfunded government would be key. And I've always said, you know, disasters, stuff like hurricanes. I never even thought of a pandemic, but pandemic is a perfect example because the government is telling us that there are these huge programs that need to be funded medical in nature now and that there's not enough money, not enough equipment, not enough. And and so what? So now what? Right. So we pass huge borrowing and spending bills. And it's very interesting that I can now say that I have the answer, as I always think that I have. And yeah, it's it's you're right. It's been fascinating that this has been a real checkmark libertarian moment for people to say that, uh, well, checkmates, you guys need the government after all. And it's not like if you move to Ancapistan, it's not like there still wouldn't be public health consultants or people who specialize in what to do in matters of public health. Um, it, it doesn't, the government isn't the only vehicle to accomplish it and taxes aren't the only vehicle that can pay for it. Um, so I've found those comments to be hilarious because they're really, really misrepresenting the importance of coercively funded programs as if that's the only way. So I'm, I'm very interested in talking about, I guess, an alternative vision that I have for society, especially in these trying times. Well, I guess just go over what your alternative would be then since, you know, you've been, um, you've been hinting at it, you've been previewing it. You've been, uh, what's another good term for this? Um, You've been, uh, you know, promoing it, I guess. Um, So, yeah, kind of go over what your alternative would be, and then we can kind of go after that. So I'm a believer that the government that we have may or may not be good. Politics as they are may or may not be good, but that's that's beyond my pay grade. The only thing that interests me is the way that we pay for these public programs. And currently, the way that we do it is we either steal your money or we steal it from the future through borrowing. And I'm a believer that government can stay exactly the way that it is with the exception that taxes should be voluntary. And we shouldn't be borrowing immense amounts of money from the future. We should be paying as we go, as it comes to public spending. Somehow it's a controversial idea that I shouldn't have a gun in my face to pay for important things. And that's the belief that I have, is that if you make all of these government programs transparent, tell me what you want to do. And especially in times of crisis, tell me what we need to do now. I believe that people can and will give their money to operate the system for exactly what people want to do with it. It seems to me that people are very interested in seeing public health programs succeed right now. So why do we need a gun in anybody's face to pay for it? So like with, especially with this uh, whole crisis that's been going on, how would you, like, if you were the, like the president or just the leader, or whatever, how would you handle this situation then? If that's kind of how you, you know, because kind of what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, you still want the government as it is to still be around. You just want it to be funded in a different way. Not just like you were saying, I don't want the, you know, people to be taxed and they have really no choice because if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to jail, right? Like a Wesley Snipes type, oh, your tax evasion, you're going to jail for 10 years. Um, you know, so how would, how would you handle this type of situation? 
Well, we almost got into uh, a similar discussion uh, that I ran into a bunch at Childerberg where the idea is right. that somehow I'm, I'm pro-state or that somehow I am, I am pro-government. I'm, I'm government neutral. I just think that uh, if, if everybody figured this out on their own, maybe some areas would want heavy centralized public programs. Other areas would want very little centralized programs. And some of them might choose to just run everything privately through nonprofits or even through for-profit organizations to accomplish exactly the same things that the government currently does for us. So I just, I just wanted to quickly jump out in front and make sure that everybody watching is very well aware that I don't, uh, I don't argue for government. I just simply accept the fact that it exists now. And then I think that uh, somehow, let me give you an example. So under normal times, uh, I'm a believer that government programs should be budgeted. They should be out in the future, transparent for the next few years. And as the years go on, we should be voluntarily paying into the programs that are listed. And then time will go on and some of the programs will have less money to spend. They'll be able to do less and the people will either accept that or not. Some of the programs will receive even more money than they have budgeted. And over the years, the budgets can expand rapidly to do exactly what people want to do. If I'm the president, you introduce a pandemic. That's the reason why crowdfunding government has the ability to run emergency funds. So I've always talked about it with hurricanes or wars, but a pandemic is no different. We have now what we did not expect in December. We now have huge expectations for public expenditures on health. So you start, you tell the people what you need, break it out, labor, material, assets, and equipment, and open it up, open up the GoFundMe. What do people want to give? If you want the government to do something, we have to pay for it. The idea that we can simply borrow and then deal with this later is absurd because that's how every, that's how every problem has been fixed since well before I was born. And clearly it doesn't work if you look at how the national debt continues to accumulate. We're constantly spending more than we're bringing back. So that's, uh, that's how President Theodore Quinoa would handle these things, I would say. Here's what we need for your regional hospital system. Go ahead. Here's what you need for your regional hospital system. Go ahead. I'm, I've never been a, I guess I should say one thing is that politically, I've never believed in national solutions, or at least as little national solutions as possible. Local is the most important. And this pandemic really shows it, right? Because there are certain areas that are having a ton of these virus cases. And there are certain areas that have very little. So why is this a national response? Why don't we designate the funding regionally, figure out what your regional needs are, your city needs are, your local hospital needs are? Why does this require any action from a federal government besides data accumulation? And that, again, that still doesn't require a federal overlayer to figure out exactly where the cases are, how they're spreading. These are the kind of things that localism solves. So to answer your question, emergency fund, focus on localism, voluntarily fund it. Okay, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Libertarian Country. Libertarian Country is your place for all of your Liberty apparel needs. They have t-shirts, mugs, bottle openers, beer koozies, books, and many more. Use our promo code HAPA, H-A-P-A, for 10% off your order. Again, that's promo code HAPA for 10% off. Thanks, Libertarian Country, and thank you for your support. Hmm. You know, it's funny that you're like, well, what if the government didn't react? I mean, I, I, I see people saying that, well, you know, Donald Trump didn't react fast enough. And you're, I mean, for those people, I just don't think you're ever going to change their mind, I mean, you know, at least not today. You know, they say, well, Donald Trump should have enacted the National Production Act right now. He should have done it right now. And you're just like, man. The same people who are like, Trump is literally Hitler. Yeah, so yeah. Like <laughs> it, it is. It has been fascinating to watch people who believe that the president is the most evil person in the world and has nothing, has no interest in the American people, also needs to immediately nationalize uh, what some areas of industry and change them around and needs to be in charge of controlling everybody's lives, locking people down. These are, it's, it's an inconsistent philosophy. I agree with you, Shane. I see it. Over and over again, that people think one thing, do another, double think is out there, man. A lot of cognitive dissonance right now going on with people who 
object to the way the government is doing things, but want the government to do more. They don't like the government, but they do. The politicians they don't like, but the government they do. And they want the politician they hate to do more. I can't figure it out either, man. I, I pull my hair out when I scroll through the timeline sometimes. Well, I just hope for some, you know, for those people who, who hate Trump so much, I just want them to, and I know it's not going to happen, but I, I, I guess this is wishful thinking on my part. I just wish people would just see that, you know, it doesn't matter who their president is. They're all going to, yeah. they would all act the same way. You know, they would just be like, well, you know, we're just going to wait to see what happens, you know, because right now, like, especially with this example, with the virus that's happened and COVID, I guess we can say, um, you know, it's happening in China. We'll see how China reacts. We'll, we'll wait and see what's going on. And then once it comes through, we're like, oh shit, now we got to do, oh my God, people are dying. Oh my God, what the fuck? And it's just like, well, maybe you could have, you know, at least had some defense procedures happening because now look where we're at we're in a situation where america is you know it seems like the cases are going up and and, and all this stuff and i mean it's just all around the world it's just and like you were saying too there are places more um more affected by this than others here in america especially you know i think like uh, new york is especially hit for sure i mean new york is just i mean it just seems like that whole situation there is just ridiculous and i think california too uh, i could be wrong there but no, uh, you're you're exactly right. The the more the more urban, the more uh the, the more dense you're seeing more cases. Same thing with Chicago. We're seeing them pop off um at a at a ever increasing rate. And the interesting discussion becomes if somebody lives in the middle of nowhere because they don't want to participate in a lot of these urban building projects, I guess if you want to think of a city that way, mm -hmm. if I live in a log cabin why am I paying money for something that I don't want to participate? I agree. I'm in a log cabin because I believe that cities are disease ridden and are prone to failure in a pandemic. So now you're going to steal my money in the middle of nowhere to go deal with a problem that I predicted and I don't want to be a part of. So I, I can really appreciate the idea that some people are allowed to have a completely disgusting view of the whole thing, right? I Some people should be allowed to say, I predicted this. I don't want to be a part of it. That's why I live in the middle of nowhere. So that would be a, a local local solution, right? So Chicago, deal with Chicago. Middle of nowhere, Illinois, deal with yourself. Well, I guess they're also at the mercy of who's who's leading them, you know, because they like voted. The whole New York situation. Right. Yeah. And and also with democracy, like you voted for the, for the leadership, you know, like you voted for this. Well, maybe not everybody, but, you know, the majority of people voted for the leadership that's in right now. And now look how the majority or not the majority, but look how the leadership that you voted in is work is, you know, dealing with this. <laughs> not everyone's going to like it. So there you go. Democracy in action for you. Uh, I, I think it's not even majority. I believe it's plurality because I know I didn't. I know I didn't vote. So right. <laughs> it's like, OK. Well, I guess I guess what I'm trying the to majority say. Majority of the people who voted. Yeah. Which yeah, is not I a guess, majority yeah. of the people. Yeah. Right. Who right. could have voted because this is situations like you're describing where a politician, regardless of which party, is going to fail somehow. And that's the whole. Re I mean, I've seen this for years. That's the whole reason why I've never taken a red or blue side, because I can't really tell the difference. Are you, are you really going to tell me that uh, a blue team uh, would have dealt with the pandemic differently than the red team. I, I just don't see how or where that happens. To me, it's just the American political party is in charge. The duopoly has been in charge, will be in charge for the foreseeable future. And the squabble, the professional wrestling between the red and the blue as though there's some kind of significant difference, I don't buy it. Never have, possibly never will. Hmm. Oh, they're all willing to work together when it's to spend a lot of money. So it's amazing that I think that's that's one of the the constants is there's supposedly a fiscally conservative wing of government. I don't believe it. Uh, there's there's incredible amounts of spending even during good times. There's incredible amounts of debt even during good times, and I just I just don't see it. I don't believe it. You know, it's funny that uh, you're talking about, I don't, there's no fiscal conservatism, you know, but yet Republicans always deem themselves as that. Well, when, oh, especially you know, when they're not in power, man. They're right, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, we're not going to spend a dime. We're paying this debt down. We're going to figure out how to do this without government. And then all of a sudden they're in charge. Bingo, bango, bongo. Everybody's shaking hands, spending trillions. <laughs> man, when that Obama was, was president, oh, man, we got to do something about this. Once Trump's in office, shh, don't talk about it. Shh. 
Hey, maybe if right. a Democrat in office, then they'll start caring again. Right. Yeah. Maybe the Tea Party will come back. That, yeah, that was that was something, wasn't it? They they really believed that in fiscal conservatism. That's definitely been the impact that I've seen. The lasting legacy of the Tea Party. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what government spending has risen a ton under Donald Trump. What was it like eight trillion now? Something That's like ridiculous. that. Yeah, it's you know, and it's also funny too, kind of going back with the the CARES Act that I mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, with the whole uh, the representatives gave, giving themselves a raise or something like that. It's like, why are you get what? Like, why would you get? So you're gonna give yourself millions of dollars, at, you know, and then you split it up amongst yourselves. So they get, they get like what fifty thousand? I don't, I can't it remember. It was the like math. fifty-seven thousand or something, and then for us, we all get a thousand two hundred. Yeah, so there you go, peasants. You get a thousand dollars or a thousand two hundred dollars, and everyone else uh, we get fifty, you know, fifty-seven thousand. So you know, do with that whatever you want. <laughs> you know, Trump change, as Nancy Pelosi wants to call it. Yeah. Or whatever she said about. With the whole uh, tax cut, or I don't know, I don't know, uh, whatever. I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. The, that whole thing that's, that kind of annoyed me. So sometimes no, I'm actually I, really glad you brought it up. Yeah, uh, because um, this this bill in response to dealing with this pandemic has a ton of stuff in it that has nothing to do with the pandemic. They have the right. earmarks, the riders, the things that you put in to make sure that everybody gets a piece of the pie so they vote for it. And this is the vision that I have for a crowdfunded government, which would be there, there wouldn't be some type of big, ugly bill. We would break everything down that the government wants to do and here's the stuff directly relating to the public health. And here's all this other nonsense that they want to sneak in. Each of those, instead of being either yes or no, you're going to vote against the pandemic. Of course not. You're going to you're going to slice out your little pie, make sure you got yours and then vote. Yes, I I this is a classic example of why government needs to be more transparent, why programs need to be more individualized. We need to really break out what it is that government is doing because I can see a lot of people interested in giving more to public health. I can see a lot of people also looking at half the stuff in this bill and saying, no, not interested in that. Now is not the time for that. Now is not the time for half of the stuff in this bill. And I believe that's what the market would provide. I'm a believer in the free market of people's money making what needs to happen in the public sector according to their will it's just you know with transparency it, it the, the okay so like the current government now they always say oh you know i'm gonna make the i think obama had a quote or something along the lines like i'm gonna make the government more transparent yep you know, whatever and you know oh, that, yeah that, that worked out great for everybody right yeah, no. Oh, my, my, my college roommate will never forgive me when I, because I was a public policy student, uh, very liberal at the time, very socialist, very communist, very Marxist. And uh, I was excited because I said, finally, I'm going to get a chance to see what government's up to. I can't wait for all this transparency. I can't wait to see exactly what's going on with all of the different programs. And then it was government exactly the way it always has been. Behind shadows, 500 page bills, languages that I, I'm college educated. I try to read some of these bills and they spin me around in circles. And they're, 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 they're not written in a way to be read. They're written in a way to make it very obscure exactly what they're doing and then try to figure out exactly what they're doing with all the money to actually break down the individual budgets, impossible. Not publicly available data. Crazy stuff. So yes, I was one of those people. I was one of the people. Oh, I can't wait to see the transparency that Obama's promised us. I, I still hear. I still hear it to this day. By the way, I still take the guff from my college roommate. Like when you were trying to read the, he was trying to read the bill. He was going. Through oh, all of it. he was getting really annoyed. He's like, this doesn't even make any sense. Like, yeah, because they, they, they break it down in such a dumb way. Where okay. Like one page will just be, uh, I don't know, like because she has it up right now. Yeah, I have it up. And it's like, what is this? HR 7482, amend the, you know, if you, if you don't even know what they're talking about, you're like, I don't know, like the Internal Revenue Code of 1986. Okay, well, now I got to look up the Internal Revenue Code of 1986. Like, this is going to take all day. Uh, to repeal the excise <laughs> tax, yeah, on high cost employee, employer sponsored health coverage. Well, now I got to know what employer sponsored health coverage, if I don't, you know, if I don't know what that means. And then wow. it says, refer to the committee on, and there's a blank. There's blanks in this bill. What in the world? You got to vote for it to find out what's in it, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The, the whole thing is just annoying. Well, also, I wanted to mention that there was uh, 25, how, how much was it? 25 million yeah. given to the Kennedy Center. And then right afterwards, it was announced that they let go of all their musicians. <laughs> so what did that? Thanks for the yeah. money. 
Yeah, I, I think Justin Mosh was tweeting about that stuff. It's like, man, that money that the government's giving you is really working out for you, huh? It's really interesting how that works. And see, that's the kind of information that I would want. If a government is allocating a $25 million grant to a nonprofit, I want to understand what it is that that grant is supposed to be spent on. I want to understand more than just the top line number. Give me the middle. Give me the meat of the sandwich. Don't just tell me it's $25 million. Okay, well, how much of it is going to pay the wages? Apparently not, right? People being right. laid off. Um, and that would allow people to figure out if they would like to give to this. And that's what's always really frustrated me about these block grants that government gives. They are so opaque. They're literally, a lot of times, just a blank. They're just a, they're a check for an amount for whatever you think you need to do with it. And that's true of so many, true of so many programs where the government just gives money to a, an organization. You just give it out. Here's your, here's your flat amount. Do whatever you want with it. Well, it's, it's also funny, too, because the way that a regular business works is you have to basically be, you know, you have to let people know what's going to happen with the money. Because if not, then people are going to be pissed, right? I mean, that's how, you know, because anytime a corporation does anything, a lot of the workers go, well, what, what are we, you know, where's that money going or anything like that, right? Well, yes. with the government, it should work the same way, at least. If we're, okay, so, and, and I know you got this argument. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I know, I'm sure you got this argument when you're when you know we're at Childerberg or whatever. Because I know a lot of those anarchists were talking. So crowdfunding government, you still want a government? How dare you? You know all that stuff. <laughs> so you know, and this isn't to, to like bash anarchists. Where I'm just kind of you know kind of going along with what you're saying. To no, me, the, the, see, that's the thing. It's a good. It's a. It was. It yeah. was and is a good conversation for right. them to have with me. And yeah, go on. So to me, it seems like. And I know not everyone's going to agree because there are those people who just want to get rid of it right now. And that's totally mm -hmm. fine. That's a prerogative. To me, it just seems like for you, it's like, okay, so, we're, you know, I don't like the government that we, that, that we have. I don't, I'm not a fan of the state, but we, you know, we live in this system right now. And as much as I would love to destroy it right now, right the second, I don't, it, it's, you know, it's just not going to happen, it, you know, and because I don't know, maybe we're thinking, I don't know, maybe we're not thinking hard it's enough not, or it's not going to be gone in a second without some sort of giant collapse, which destroys people's lives. Yeah, basically. because I mean, again, there are people who they, they do get welfare. That's from the government. What if you just get rid of welfare just like that? What, what are they going to do? You know, like what, what I mean, some yeah, people, these, are, these are great points. Yeah, because some people they they just they can't work. They they're literally living off that welfare, and they, they can't work because you know they're physically disabled or something like that. You know, so and I'm kind of going off topic or kind of going off a. No, you are where, you are on you are on the exact right track. Yeah. which is that's so I consider myself a pragmatist, um, an incrementalist, and I am told that that is an evil thing and that it's better to be an idealist. Um, I'm certainly an idealist in regards to what I think government can and should be in regards to tax collection, but I'm very pragmatic about the fact that I live in 2020. The, there is a huge multi-trillion dollar organization that has the right to steal your money, throw you in a cage if you disagree, and it does incredible amounts of things that people count on every day. So if you don't start the conversation right there, to me, it's disingenuous and or a waste of time. I understand that by supporting by supporting the political system, by supporting the organizations that currently represent government, that I am not a in many people's eyes correct. Right, I'm wrong to not say you know smash the state and the state tomorrow. But you just gave a few examples, and I don't think that they're pandering or bad examples. I think they're perfect examples. People are counting on this multi-trillion-dollar organization to do an incredible amount of things. If you change that tomorrow, you can and will ruin a lot of things. So how do we get from here to there? That's the reason why I have a lot of friends who identify with this chill movement, right? Because they see that a crowdfunded government would be a great vehicle to allow people to decide how much government they want in their lives. And a lot of the chill movement are believers that the government should be in their lives as little as possible. However, I also have met uh, stateless socialists. So essentially these, these ANCOMs or this group of people who are believers that voluntarily they would like to give to an extremely strong central authority that is local only. And those are the kind of people who would typically be at odds with anarchists. 
and uh, a lot of the, the more, I guess, right anarchists would be at their throats and are at their throats. You can look at all of the uh, the. You guys hearing that? Holy shit! I think they're ripping down my building. Sorry. Sorry about the background noise. Um, so we don't we don't really hear that. So. so oh, okay. Good. It's, <laughs> it's probably it's like the, that building. It's, it's probably the IRS because you're talking about voluntary paying for the government, not involuntary. <laughs> so they want to destroy your building. It sounds like a song and a half. So um. So anyway, I apologize. Uh, so basically, what it comes down to is that because I have this idea that it can, can appeal to many parts of the political spectrum, whether it's people who want on the right are anarchists, on the left are anarchists, people who are just traditional red blue. The the idea that I have is supposed to be a, appropriate, acceptable by anybody with the exception of an authoritarian collectivist. That is the only political movement that I cannot see eye to eye on because their job is to steal your money, convince you that they are right to do so, and then do things collectively. So authoritarian collectivism, I can't get into. But every other branch of the political system, if I can just get a chance to explain what I think about voluntarily contributing to government, people can get into it. They can also just get into the idea that, hey, instead of spending my money here, can I spend more money there and less there? So that's a great starter for a lot of people too into this idea. And uh, yes, you are correct that uh, a lot of people are thrown off by the government in the name, crowdfunding government, forget about it. <laughs> I hate government, right? So I get it. I've, I've received I've received praise and criticism from all ends of the political spectrum. But the one thing that holds true to me is that there is a great amount of support for people voluntarily doing what they want with their money. That seems to be an overwhelming, I guess, thread through almost all interactions that I have with people, as long as we're both being honest about the discussion. That's usually where people come to because everybody doesn't want something. Everybody wants something. And I want them to each make their own decisions. I think one thing that everyone or mostly everyone could agree on, though, is uh, government transparency, at least like what are they actually spending the money on? So I don't think anyone would would argue that that's wrong to know what they're spending the money on. Right. Yeah, uh, that that is actually a hotly debated issue in regards to secret programs. Aren't there programs that the government operates that are would jeopardize national security if we were to disclose details of them? Classic example being a witness protection program. So you can't tell people what the addresses are of the people being funded in the witness protection program, right? Mm -hmm. Well, does that mean that we need taxes? No. That just means that occasionally you might not want to give 100% of all publicly available information to the public. That information still should be available to auditors and people who have the proper clearances in order to view this kind of information. But there are that is an argument made all the time. Same thing with like CIA programs. They're like, well, the CIA is doing all this secret stuff in other countries and it's keeping you safe. It's like, well, tell me a little about it, you know? Okay, so don't tell me that you're going to assassinate the guy when he's at the Iraq airport, right? That Iranian, uh, that happened right before all this stuff went, went crazy, right? So there are secret assassinations that the government does sometimes. And I can understand how if you believe that they're a threat, and there's enough political popular support, enough financial support voluntarily, I guess that's the role of the state sometimes. So if that's what people want to do with the government, who am I to tell them not to? But I can understand you might want to keep some details secret, but that doesn't mean you can't tell me how much you're going to spend. In fact, that's what I would really look forward to. Give me a $50 billion program, and it's secret. And we can't tell you a thing about it, but trust mm. me, it's keeping you safe. See how much that voluntarily collects. Just watch. Yeah, people will be like, yeah, sure. Sure, you're yeah. going to keep us safe with $50 billion. That's, well, that's the real safety. Well, not only that, but they, you know, they, when 9-11 happened and, and all, that, all that stuff happened, that's another, you know, thing that, you know, with the whole, oh, my government's not responding fast enough. We got to do something. And then they, you know, they passed the Patriot Act and all that good stuff. And then they made the uh, Homeland Security Department, which I don't know why. I mean, you just just put it in the Department of Defense. Why you gotta make a whole new department for yeah, no. for this? It's like if that one wasn't for Homeland Security, then what was the Department of Defense for? Right, because when I, if I'm I'm pretty sure 
when when George Washington was president, when it first started, there was only like four cabinets. There was only you know uh, Department of War, Treasury, uh, I think Postmaster General, and then there was another one that I that I'm completely blanking on right at the moment. But I believe there was only four. Maybe Vice President was I don't know. Vice President was considered one, but there wasn't that many departments back then. Now there's like what twenty or something like that, and it's just you know billions of dollars probably pouring into each one. You know. Uh, and, that's, I, and, and that's a great point, by the way, which is so everybody was very scared after 9-11. And so right. there was an emotional response that led to the political will for a monstrous new bureaucracy of DHS. And then the, the, the discussion becomes, dude, it's 2020. That was 19 years ago that we created this huge bureaucracy in regards to a very emotional moment in American history. And unfortunately, I, I do have to allow that even if I got my crowdfunded government tomorrow, that there still would be occasionally or frequently emotional decisions made by people with their money that they later regret. And I'm okay with that because at least people have the chance to correct their course. So at some point between 9-11 and today, how is it possible that we really haven't changed course on anything Right. In regards to airports or in regards to mass transit security. And it's like we're, we're, if if everybody really reviewed what these programs are doing, it's it's very likely that they might make some different spending decisions than they would have in 2002. Right. Everybody might have been very gung ho about having the TSA do these incredible expanded technologies and all of these different things, because we were very worried about people sneaking stuff onto planes. But. It's 2020. Would we really still support the same level of security and expense in regards to that? I don't know, but I'd like the people to have a chance to make that decision. seems like we really overly react in these kind of situations. And then the big problem is we create these permanent bureaucracies. So that's the crowdfunded government solution, which is every year I want people making new decisions about old information. I want these old programs to be re-examined every year. And essentially, these programs have to get popular support. And by the way, not political pandering popular support, actual dollars. I got to whip out my wallet and then go slap it down on a program. That, to me, is a true popular program that, it, to me, is much more uh, acceptable than one in which you're stolen from and told, hey, man, it's popular. Trust me, everybody wants it. All right, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Infinite CBD. What is CBD? CBD is one of the many compounds inside the hemp and cannabis plants. Although CBD is in the marijuana plant, Infinite CBD uses pure hemp-derived CBD isolate that contains no THC. Our CBD is straight from an industrial hemp farm that produces pure and clean, testing above 99% CBD isolate. I use the Freezing Point Topical Cream and the Topical Salve to soothe my muscles, especially my neck and back, and it feels great. Use our promo code HAPA10, H-A-P-A, and the number 10 for 10% off your order. Again, HAPA10 for 10% off. Thanks, Infinite CBD, and thank you for your support. Um, so I wanted to correct myself about the Washington cabinet because, I don't know, I just feel like I need to. And it's actually kind of interesting too. That kind of it sounded right to me, by the way. But, I was I was down with it. What's the fact? <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Secretary of State, uh, Secretary of Treasury, uh, Secretary of War, and Attorney General, which is hilarious that they called it Secretary of War because they knew what it was back then. It was war. It wasn't defense. They changed the name right back in. I can't yeah, remember exactly no, when they changed defense. it, but yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the whole thing with 9-11 is, um, is interesting because it was like a bipartisan thing, right? Like it was one of the times where – probably the only time I think where Bush's approval rating was way up, almost blasting through the roof because of this. It's like I got – he'll say things and people will be like, oh, man, that, that Bush is pretty cool. And then you know, 10 seconds later, they hate him again. It's kind of this, well. I guess Trump really. I don't know. I think his approval range is like maybe in the in the mid fifty percent range. I don't know. He'll it'll never go higher than that probably. But it's just hilarious to me that you know when it comes to what they're going to spend their money on when it comes to you know any type of uh, you know pandemic or a disaster, any or, yeah, any crisis or whatever, they'll just you know 
All right, I got that problem solved. Woohoo! Spend more money, we're good to go. All right, and then they'll just go on home and get back to their uh, mansions or however, however much money they make. You know, well, yeah. as a, as a resident of Chicago, I have to paraphrase one of my favorite political quotes ever from Rahm Emanuel, oh, which yeah. is, "You do not allow a crisis to go to waste." So. You, and I don't know what the exact line is. I don't know what context it was sended, but it's brilliant in regards to accurately describing exactly what happens whenever there are these national emergencies, which is instead of everybody thinking rationally, writing everything down, coming up, examining options, all of a sudden, Washington works together and comes up with these crazy huge programs. 9-11 was a good example. And this is probably going to be a good example in the future. I can't wait to see what the government rolls out in 2020 under everybody's scared. Everybody wants somebody to do something. And if you give politicians that opportunity to control your money, they will give you something because it's going to be popular for the government to continue to do something. And eventually, that something will almost certainly be overblown. But at what point is that? I don't know. And that's where I'd love the market, the free market of people's dollars to make that decision. Because I, I'm okay if people emotionally, irrationally want to give a bunch of money right now to government to do something. I would actually be in favor of that. That's fine because people voluntarily want to do it. But at some point, when do you turn the spigot off? And that's the answer that the free market would have that government doesn't have for us. Hmm. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty interesting way of putting it. <laughs> I mean, like if yeah, because a lot of the the programs that get created, you can't undo that afterwards. Like just whatever. like the Department of Homeland Security was a perfect example. Yeah. I, I also heard. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure this was something I saw, where Trump was. Cons or I don't know if it was Trump or just his, his administration. It's probably Trump. But they were considering like doing some kind of like a new department, like I like a Homeland Security, but for specifically oh, that, for yeah. this type, like for these disasters, like department of like, I don't know, pandemic crisis or whatever. It's just like, why? Like We why? have FEMA. We have a federal emergency management agency. <laughs> we, we have that. Yeah. What else? What is the new one? Right. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I did not hear that news. That wouldn't surprise me at all. If all of this shakes out, to a multi-billion dollar yearly commitment to bureaucrats to push around paper waiting for the next opportunity to spend even more money. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is just uh, kind of just makes you realize too that, you know, the whole, the whole like, I don't, I don't know how to, how, to, how am I trying to word this right, but... It just makes me kind of annoyed too sometimes where I see people go, see this whole thing. And I, and I know, I think I mentioned this before too in the beginning where it's like, yo, libertarians, uh, they're, you know, this is the whole, this is the reason why libertarians are so dumb. They wouldn't be able to um, help in this type of crisis or whatever. But also going back to the, you know, the House of Representatives giving themselves money or whatever, what, what, why couldn't they just put that 25 million towards the $1,200 that they're, that they're giving to the citizens anyway? You know, instead of one thousand two hundred, you're gonna get I don't know three thousand dollars. I mean, that'll that'll go a little longer than one thousand two hundred dollars. I'm gonna assume, right? Because they they gave themselves a raise for whatever reason. I don't know. You have to in Congress if you spend if if you pass a big bill, you gotta have new appropriations for salaries higher higher. You have to. That's a that's a rule of of any legislature. It seems that um on the big one that nobody can vote no on. Make sure you got that extra pay coming in next year. Now's the time. No, I'm good. Okay. Sorry. Um, so, okay. So kind of going back with the, just the crowdfunding government and that whole um, scenario and all that good stuff, not just with like a pandemic, because obviously that's what everyone's talking about, but also in terms of like, you've seen all the people hoarding toilet paper and, and all that good stuff, you know, beating the shit out of each other because I, I got to wipe my ass now, you know, more often than not, apparently. Um, so in terms of like, like the supply, because like, that's another thing too, that kind of makes me just kind of wonder if people even know what they're talking about when they say, well, like with price gouging, for example, or whatever, because I know some people don't like that term, but it's like, okay, so everyone's buying toilet paper. What if you just, you know, 
say for example, a, a 12 pack of toilet paper is, I don't know, $10. But when in this type of crisis or anything like this, like in a hurricane or anything like that, we got to raise up at least double to $20 because now we're going to be in a situation where we don't have any toilet paper or whatever type of materials people need right at that moment, you know? So in terms of the, in, in, the, in a crowdfunded government society, like how would that work in like for supply and demand? Would it still be kind of the way it is now? Like I, I just mentioned, or is there another way or another way that I hadn't, that I haven't thought of that would be kind of more in line with that supply and demand type of economy? Well, the only the only interaction that a crowdfunded government would have in regards to the shortages of essential supplies would be whether you want a government agency enforcing price gouging or not. So that's the only involvement hmm. that a that a government that's voluntarily crowdfunded would have, which is you need, I guess, in this in a state, you would have the attorney general or somebody in charge of prosecuting people for price gouging. And that would be a lot of things would actually line up like this as their own programs, because basically it costs money to enforce laws. So if you have a price gouging law, you would need a budget to operate it because you'd have to have people on the ground investigating, receiving complaints, investigating complaints, and then pushing the judicial process forward for people who do price gouge. Now, I would love to have a longer conversation about in regards to price gouging, much like you had hinted to. It's a fantastic conversation, but it's uh, not, a, not a CFG one. That would just be simply Theodore Quinoa, the, the private citizen uh, giving information about what I know about economics and supply and demand. So that's neither here nor there. I can just say that in similar to, I've talked about it before, is the drug war, hmm. which is if even if you have laws that make it illegal to either possess or sell or use drugs, it takes a budget to investigate and prosecute people who are using drugs so or selling drugs or possessing them. So what does that budget become? If that budget is $1 for the fiscal year 2021, we're not enforcing drug laws. There's, there's, no, there's no budget to deal with it. Like where you don't even have a storage locker to keep the evidence. There's, there's no budget for it. And that's where if you get down to price gouging, if people actually want it to be a law, which it is in many states, many areas, What's the budget to enforce it? How exactly is the attorney general going to investigate and prosecute these people without the money to do it? And then that gets into a great discussion, too, which is, doesn't this crowdfunding government idea allow for very unpopular programs where people can do something that a vast majority of people don't? So the example that I had brought up before, which is, let's say you live in like a suburb, a relatively small suburb, where the people are very anti-drug. You got your, you, they are just, they hate drugs in this community. And the community voluntarily beefs up this anti-drug budget every year. Well, that is going to be that community and that society that they want to live in. And if you don't like it, unfortunately, that's what you got in suburb A. It is an anti-drug suburb. So there is, there is the ability for governments to be tyrannical or authoritarian, even if you voluntarily fund it. And that's where I'm a believer in the political process, working these things out, which is if people are popularly supporting these politicians who are then popularly supporting these budgets, who are then getting the budgets funded popularly and voluntarily, who am I to judge? Who am I to tell you that the drug war is stupid? Who am I to tell you that price gouging laws are stupid? If people voluntarily fund the budget to enforce them and the politicians who propose them continue to get voted in, I guess that's what the people want. Yeah, I was kind of going to um, go into because you mentioned the drug war and I was going to talk about, about the police because obviously there's a lot of people, um, you know, that are libertarian, especially anarchists for sure, who just, you know, they see the police as like the enemy, you know, and the police say it's sure for general, you know, that's a that's a terrible um type of society to live in. But like you're saying, you know, if they voluntarily want that type of society, you know, who am I who lives in, you know, society B to tell society A, well, you're wrong. You know, why you like that? Well, because that's another thing too with, um, you know, there are those libertarians who say, well, you'll live and let live as long as you're not, you know, uh, messing with how I'm living right, you know, basically. So is that, is that kind of how, how you kind of interpret that as well? Yeah, I, that, that's the only way that I can vision a future society is we have to allow the experimentation of these different these 
these little pockets to do what they want. And some of them might be pro-drug. Some of them might be mm -hmm. anti-drug. Some of them might be pro-price gouging. Some of them might be anti-price gouging laws. Yeah. So there might, be, there might be some small communities around Illinois that I could go and get toilet paper at any time. However, I'm going to pay. I am going to pay for any essential supply because as their supply starts to run low, they drastically increase the prices. But the benefit to the consumer would be I get my essential supply, but I got to pay for it. So it'd be very interesting to see how the experiment works out. Maybe some people would prefer to live in different types of societies, and I'm all for it. And that is actually one of the things that really irritates libertarians is that I'm certainly not one because I don't believe in the non-aggression principle. I have no opinion on it. I don't care. Whatever, if the government wants to be aggressive and if the government has the funding to do it and the political power to do it through democratic elections, I guess that's it. I guess that's the best we can do as a, as a society. Um, so this is, this is where I really do irritate some people. And that's where you saw me getting into uh, some heated situations at Childerberg because yeah. I, I, do, I do not espouse any political opinions besides voluntarism as it comes to funding and localism as it comes to political solutions. Everything else, I believe that the market can and will provide exactly what the people want. So do you kind of look at secession as an, as another option as well? Because not like, cause especially nowadays you look how the, the people here in America are, everyone's different. Everyone has their different uh, beliefs and their different uh, political ideologies and all that stuff. And, you know, well, there's a story that we'll, we'll talk about too, that kind of ties into this, but not everyone's going to want to live in the same society because they like you know they all believe in different things or whatever like you're saying some people are going to believe in the non-aggression principle others aren't and they don't care if force is used on people to do what they want you know so you know if you do grieve in the in the in the nap or whatever then go live in a society that does live in the nap. it's like that whole you know oh, want you to feel like you want to live in somalia <laughs> no that's oh, actually that. it that's that's what's yeah. so funny is that i do argue the move to somalia point often and obviously people use it against me on right. twitter to say like oh if you don't like the american system of taxation move to somalia right but then i turn around and i tell anarchist libertarians hey if you don't like what your city is doing move to a city that does it the way you want to so i'm not i wouldn't talk about secession because i'm a believer in the continuity of our current system because i believe that we have the framework to make these changes i don't think we're inevitably an authoritarian collectivist system if you look at our founding documents we have we have the structure to bring a lot of localism in especially if you start reading like the ninth and tenth amendments you're like wow this was this system was set up to yeah. have laboratories of democracy. So that is actually the solution that I do offer, which is we have to allow people to have their own little pockets and whether that means different states having different policies and especially counties and cities having different policies. It's amazing because I do a lot of traveling um, and I still do, I guess, even during the pandemic, how similar a lot of cities and counties and even states are there. Everything is so nationalized and it's, it amazes me how there's so little experimentation that goes on. Like we get a little bit at the fringes, right? So Illinois has experimented successfully with recreational cannabis, right? And mm. Indiana is not. So it's great to see that working out. But people are still being thrown in cages for a plant, for very small amounts of plant in Indiana. And Illinois is like, yeah, small amount of plant. I don't know. It, it, it's taxable, right? It's even the, the state's making money on this mm -hmm. thing. And so it's to me, it's not about secession. It's about localization. Um, I, I am not the uh, even though I certainly have uh, even though I certainly have friends who are collapsitarian in nature um, and I can certainly respect some of the. Some of the wishes to either have the current system burned down or change drastically, I can respect where they're coming from, even though I sort of disagree because I'm sort of a perpetual optimist about the future. Yeah. Um, I, I can respect the idea because I understand the philosophy behind it, which is I need the ability to live in a, in a community that matches my values. And that's hard to do under our current system where there's so many federal laws and rules and regulations that that are that are supreme to 
the state and the local laws. And it would be very nice to see the opposite be true, which is some states look nothing like each other. Some cities, twin cities even, having drastically different policies, even though they literally touch each other, one is different than the other. And the market will allow people to move and make their better decisions. So that's where I get into the move to Somalia argument. That is my best argument, which is I, I want people to have the freedom to live in a society to do what they want to do. However, I do believe that if the majority of people are politically supporting a politician and people are providing enough money voluntarily to make it happen, you have to move. These, these are not your, these are your neighbors, but these are not your friends. And you, in my opinion, you have no right to interfere with their political system. They have established a system. They like it. They're voluntarily paying for it. And there's another community where you can better represent your values. So that's, especially that's where I get into a lot of arguments with libertarians and anarchists, because I am making a move to Somalia argument, essentially, which is move somewhere where people better respect your values. But that is, that is better to me than the alternative, which is what we're living under now, which is if you don't like it, too bad. At least I'm offering an alternative, right? At least I'm saying if you don't like it, there will be communities nearby which are experimenting with all of these different things that you might find more attractive. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good, good way of putting it too. Um, you know, but all right. So, so we're going to move on. Like I was saying before, you know, when I was just mentioning about the police day and all that and, and people kind of being, I guess not forced, but they're in a community where not everyone agrees with each other. So I have a, um, I have a story here that I wanted to share with you and kind of want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, so oh, yeah. <laughs> main, re can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Main residents try to force quarantine of out of towners by cutting down tree. <laughs> so a tree was cut and dragged into a roadway of a residence, apparently by neighbors believing people from out of state in the home may have coronavirus. So, a group of main, I'm not going to read the whole story, but I just kind of want to go, go over a little bit of it. A group of main residents apparently tried to forcibly quarantine their neighbors by cutting down a tree and blocking a roadway after fearing they might have coronavirus. <laughs> so, believing, okay, so here's a quote believing the group may be there to harm him, fled to his residence and told his roommates what he had found. The department said, I guess, is what the police, uh, their report or whatever. So, I mean, take well, whatever the police is telling you, you know, face value. Um, so kind of like looking at that type of thing, like how, how does that kind of go along with, cause you know, right here, these people obviously, you know, it says they're out of towners or whatever, but these people are going like, well, this person might have coronavirus. They don't know a hundred percent if they have the, the sickness or whatever, but they're just going to cut down a tree and block a roadway because I don't want this person to move. We want this person quarantined by force. You know, so how, how does that like, can, how, like, how do you re, how, what is your reaction to all that? Well, I think a much more orderly system would be <laughs> democratically elected politicians propose that law. So whatever whatever the end is, because obviously putting a tree is not the is not going to be the answer. Right. But whatever whatever the answer is that people want out of that, the politicians who are democratically supported propose that as a policy or that as a program, that is a law, and that law has a cost. So what is the cost of accomplishing what it is that these people are trying to do with the tree, which is clearly crazy, right? But yeah. the idea, but the but the idea is very interesting, is that there's some group of people who want to restrict travel or have some type of what they see perceive as safety in their community. And they're willing, clearly, to expend effort. Possibly, they're willing to expend money. So as long as it's popularly supported by their politician and it was voluntarily contributed to, that would seem to be much more orderly because there would be a, a way to stop it, too. There would be a way to, oh, no, you know what? We are going to vote out the politician proposing this crazy program that's being voluntarily funded. So there's still a way for people to switch back, and there's a way for people to switch into it much more orderly. Clearly, this type of activity is not the best answer. Just chopping on trees, blocking stuff, I, I, can't, I can't see that as the best answer, but I can certainly respect the fact they want something done, and with that, it should be voluntarily decided upon. 
I wonder if uh, Stephen King will write a novel about this. He'll probably like a thousand page novel because it's set in Maine. So I mean, yeah, it'll get like really dark after a while. Yeah. Yeah. So like they find out the person actually did have coronavirus or it's whatever, you know, he decides he wants to put in a book or whatever. Cause you know, Stephen King's a weirdo when it comes to, you know, so have you read, have you read it? Not the movie, the, the actual novel, Oof, oh. crazy stuff. Nope. Um, not going to get into that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, okay, so we have another one that we wanted to, uh, wanted to uh, show you, and this one's- That was uh, a good one. You were, you were promising some, uh, some interesting news stories. That's a good start. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. And this one uh, is more related to, you know, government just doing their job with- uh, Yep. This is the current system we live in, right? You know, and, and, and you're offering an alternative, so there you go. If you want, it's like you want this or you want the alternative. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it ties it on, who knows. But anyway, so this one is uh, U.S. government has 1.5 million expired N95 masks just sitting in an Indiana warehouse. I mean, they're just sitting there. Like, did you even know that masks uh, could expire? Um, so I do because I work in emergency services. I know that they have, uh, they have filters and they have materials that degrade over time. I actually, hmm. I did. <laughs> but I, I guess I work in I work in the industry. Yeah, that, that that's true. Um, so, it, but that being said, do they really like? <laughs> basically, it's the same thing with like expiration dates on food. So the right. idea is you put the expiration for like the the minimal amount of things that are going to expire, so that you can't get sued later on. But how often have you had milk like a week past expiration? You taste it, you're like eh, still milk, right? Um, they, because some types of milk might have expired the week before, maybe 2% of all of that milk would have expired. And that's uh, actually pretty similar for personal protective equipment. Um, it's, it's going to be less effective, but will it be completely ineffective? Um, very unlikely. That's the thing about it. It's like, would you rather not have any masks or masks that may like be less effective than the ones that are right. new, you know? Yeah, especially when you start hearing the stories that people are reusing masks in like medical settings. Mm -hmm. um, that's very, very just, I'm hearing a lot of these disturbing stories. They, they really bother me from somebody who is in the industry of protecting that my, myself, my workers from, and I guess people occasionally uh, other people who I'm just helping from these, from these threats that are posed and it's something is better than nothing and something that's a little expired is much better than reusing something for the sixth time. Like I'm, I'm reading these crazy stories about this, that in my industry would get you fired. Like what, what they have to do with the PPE in the medical industry is out of control. Um, it's, it's really crazy to think about that. If I asked one of my workers to do that, I would be easily setting myself up for the lawsuit of the century because I know the threat that, the, that I'm posing to somebody. Um, and if I gave somebody the option, if we completely ran out of PPE, the option is either we're not going to work or we're going to use the slightly expired PPE. I don't feel unethical or immoral providing somebody with that option. So I'm, I'm in favor of opening up this warehouse. See what's in there, man. I can't believe this is going on in Indiana. I didn't hear about this. I'm just, I'm just across the border. Yeah, so uh, one of the things here in the article, it says that manufacturers have said the masks remain effective if stored properly. And the main risk with age is that the mask elastic bands can weaken and, pro and prevent a proper seal against the user's face. So I guess they're probably that's probably one of the reasons why they're not using them. Uh, this right here. Yeah, they have no plans to offer the masks. Let's start wow. with let, let's start with some replacement elastic and see where we're at. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, they have all, it will also too, it's kind of like, well, why were they sitting there in the first place? You know, yeah, like, why did they figure this out now? Yeah. Well, not only that, but if they're in Indiana, maybe they should have just given them to the hospitals instead, instead of letting, you know, having it sit in, you know, wherever or sitting at, you know what I mean? Well, this is a great example of, uh, when I, when I talk about transparency, uh, in budgeting, right. it involves assets, uh, materials, equipment, and labor. Well, these are materials. These are the types of things that should be inventoried. These are the types of things that you use a certain amount of them per year. They need to be restocked. Uh, keeping track of materials is essential for business. Oh, actually, 
we had skipped over that earlier where you had started to compare government to private business mm. uh, corporations yeah. uh public you know these are these are the types of things that you're not allowed to say and in fact i've been i've read many many stories about how you are not allowed to compare the way that a private organization operates to the way that a government operates. And in certain examples, I guess I can sort of agree, but many I cannot. And this would be a perfect example. If you had a business with this much material, you would have an inventory. You would have somebody cycling the inventory. You would not be letting this inventory expire, right? right. Mm -hmm. I need a million masks, so I'm going to use, and they, and they have a three-year lifespan. I'm going to make sure that I use at least a third of them each each year, and then I'm going to make sure that I'm restocking appropriately to keep that usage going. It's right. crazy to me that somehow, just magically, because these materials belong to the government, they are not known about. They're secret in a warehouse somewhere. Forget about them. It's, it's crazy to me that we allow this as a society to have so much. It's not necessarily corruption because that implies that somebody is actively doing this in an evil manner but we allow this type of incompetence because a business where that would not fly my your shop manager is fired if that story came out oh we let a bunch of incredibly expensive uh valuable useful things expire because we didn't properly inventory and rotate them dude you're done you are done managing this shop you clearly you're not managing it correctly. It's crazy that eh, it's government. We're just that's fine. It's just public money, you know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think I think that that'll be a good way to <laughs> way to end the end this whole thing is the you know the to say that the government needs to do better with their inventory. <laughs> they need to be more transparent with their inventory. How many masks do you got, government? How many masks do you have total? Come on, tell us. Yeah, I would love to see the dashboard. Yeah. I'd love to see exactly how much do I got? How many did we use this month, last week, last year? What's our inventory replacement cycle? How many are on order? These are all the kinds of, these are the data points that anybody involved in a private organization would have available to them. And I don't understand how it's possible that we don't on a public scale. Yeah, all right. Well, um, Theodore, thank you so much for uh, coming on and uh, you know, talking about how our current system of government is, uh, it needs to be changed and offering alternatives. Yeah, for sure. Um, so can you tell everyone, uh, you know, where they can find your stuff and where they can find you on social media and all that good stuff? Absolutely. So, uh, my name is Theodore. I'm with crowdfunded government. You can find the website at crowdfundedgovernment.com where I have links to a variety of different podcast appearances, my blog has an explanation, a better one, because obviously we kind of really, we kind of really condense the idea in these sorts of discussions. So right. a lot more in writing, um, frequently asked questions, but more importantly, I am back out of hibernation in the mean streets of Twitter. And I love the opportunity to engage with people, although I've really been taking it easy, given sort of it's a sensitive time and everybody's a little high strung. I've been taking it very easy on Twitter because my usual MO is just jump in to these crazy big conversations and really try to mix it up. So I'll still mix it up, though, for a little bit. But you will notice a much gentler Theodore over the next uh, short time period. You can find me on Twitter at CrowdfundedGov. Bring your statist uncle. Tell him to get on there and start an argument with me. I'll do it. I'm ready to go. I believe I have the answers for the future. I have an optimistic view and I want the chance to spread it. I think we, we can do better as a society. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will go ahead and end this right now. Thank you. For and it's watching. not because of the virus. We're not, we're not dying because of the virus. So stay safe, everyone. And uh, yeah, live long and prosper as uh, Spock would say. Can you do that? Thank you.